Welcome back to the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast, Episode 8. Today, we are talking early, bold predictions. It is the season of post-drafts. We know where players are. We know what teams they're going to be on. And this is our early edition of players that we think are either going to absolutely explode or implode this season in fantasy football. Usually, I have a pretty great stat sheet wizard in Ben Wolby, but Ben is traveling this week. So instead, I figured I'd bring in a different spreadsheet wizard to join me. Maybe an improved version, I might argue. Don't tell Ben I said that, but he is the man, the myth, the Josh Larkey, and we are getting into these bold predictions today. So Josh, we'll kick off with you. We're going to start from our least spicy bold prediction and get all the way up to our spiciest. So we'll start with you. What is your first bold prediction? Well, there's a receiver right now with the 12th most receiving yards through two seasons in NFL history. This player can't fail. Yes, the 12th most receiving yards through two seasons, and that was playing with four quarterbacks through two seasons in two different roles. You might have guessed it. We're talking about Jalen Waddle as a rookie, 25% target share, seven yards average depth of target, close to the line of scrimmage, ultra high volume, rookie receptions record 104 for 1,015 yards and six touchdowns. Tyreek Hill comes to Miami, and last year, 21% target share drops down. The average depth of target nearly doubles to 12 yards down the field. Only 75 catches, but 1,356 yards and eight touchdowns. Tyreek Hill obviously goes in front of him and redraft as he should, but Tyreek's 29 years old. There's really no path to Waddle failing in terms of anything other than, oh, he has a freak injury. He's in the prime of his career. Tua Tagovailoa averaged nearly a full yard per attempt more than any other quarterback last season. 8.9 yards per attempt for Tua. Second place was Mahomes at only 8.1. I think Waddle takes a step forward in year three as a pro. In year two of Mike McDaniel's scheme, Jalen Waddle finishes as a top five wide receiver. I think if Jalen Waddle didn't deal with a groin injury during the season, and if Tua had just played fully healthy, no concussions in all 17 games, I think Waddle actually might have finished as a top five wide receiver anyway. And then you throw in the I, fact that you mentioned the fact that like second year in the system, he's also going to get better going into his third year. I mean, he made big improvements from year one to year two. Just imagine the things that he can do in year three, second year in the system. You guys already know. But for me, there's also a player that I think is going to continue to be great as well. That more is way more of a shock and less star power than Jalen Waddle. But it is the reigning comeback player of the year in Geno Smith. I think Geno Smith finishes as a top eight QB once again. It's not sexy. It's not beautiful. But he is just in going to be in one of the most prolific offenses in the entire NFL this year. But Geno Smith was actually really good last year. And it wasn't like he was just setting the league on fire with QB one week after QB one week. He was just the most consistent QB in all of fantasy football. Last year, he finishes the overall QB five, but he had a top 15 QB finish in 14 out of 17 games. And he finished inside the top 20 QBs in 16 out of 17 games. And now you add in Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is the second teenager ever to put up a 90 plus PFF grade in college, joining Jamar Chase is the second year starting in Seattle for Geno Smith. They also added Zach Charbonnet, who should be an upgrade over Kenneth Walker, at least in the passing game. And now you have arguably the best wide receiver trio in all of fantasy football. So you put all that together and you get another top eight QB finish from Geno Smith. I think he's going to be, honestly, actually, do you know who Geno Smith is for me from a quarterback perspective to a wide receiver? He's Tyler Lockett. I think that he's just going to be underrated every single year. 
they're going to see the 30 tag and automatically his price goes down. But secretly, Geno Smith is going to be productive year in and year out. Josh, do you agree with Geno Smith? And do you have a take that is even spicier than him finishing top eight? I agree with Geno. What I, what I like to say is that Geno Smith started five games over the past six seasons prior to last year. There's a real chance he's better this season. He had barely played football for more than half a decade. And he now has the best receiver trio in the NFL. We're now going to move to the Broncos. Javante Williams had a similar injury to J.K. Dobbins. We'll call it the ACL Plus. It's where pretty much every ligament is torn in some form in the knee. J.K. Dobbins last year carried just 92 times in eight games. Let's turn to Samaje Piran. Samaje Piran averaged 23 fantasy points a game in three games where he was pretty much taking over for Joe Mixon. Two of the three playoff games last year, Samaje Piran just straight up outsnapped Joe Mixon. Piran actually might be kind of good. Sean Payton, their new head coach, wants reliability and he wants pass catching. Piran had seven targets in his two official starts in 2022. Also, Javante Williams, even when he comes back, has never been a bell cow. He split work in college with Michael Carter. Through 21 NFL games, Javante's averaged just 12 carries and 2.8 receptions per game. In 2023, Samaj P. Ryan has more fantasy points than Javante Williams. I absolutely love it. But I think that, I, I don't know, like I, I love the take with Samaj P. Ryan. I think he's one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL. I think we'll get, in, we'll get into that a little bit later when I talk about a former teammate of his. But with Samaj P. Ryan, I think that he's been forever underrated. And as long as Javante Williams is out, I think that he's going to be really productive. And I think he's going to put Javante Williams in that after tearing every ligament in his knee to the test. I still really like Javante Williams. I think that he is going to be one of the best dynasty running backs in the NFL for the next couple of years. But at least for this year, especially the first eight games in the season, I am definitely looking to draft Samaj P. Ryan, ride with him for the first four or five weeks, maybe while Javante Williams is out, and then trade him while there's still a couple of weeks left and let Javante come in and take over down the back stretch. But I still like Samaj P. Ryan, but not as much as I like another second year running back in Brees Hall. This is probably going to be a shock to no one. And I think people forget the fact that Brees Hall last year was on pace to be a top 10 running back as a rookie. And for me, I think he finishes in the top 10, which might not be a popular opinion because a lot of people are scared of these players that come off ACL injuries. But I think one of the things that gets forgotten about is the predictors against, you know, bad form coming off ACL injuries, which is athleticism, draft capital, and the player itself. And I think that Javon, sorry, Brees Hall is a 96th percentile athlete. He was, has first round draft categories, everything that you're looking for in terms of guys that are going to be productive coming off an ACL injury. But this is a different offense that he's going to be in. It's going to be a much better offense with Aaron Rodgers. And if Brees Hall is 100% come week one, he should be nothing but really productive. I mean, last year in a small sample size, he was number one in the NFL in missed tackles forced per attempt. He was number three in yards created per touch. And he was number two in breakaway run rate, which is percentage of rushes that go for over 15 yards or more. He was already really productive. And I think that he is only going to be more productive in a better offense in a Brees Hall who should be better in year two overall once he gets into the fray of things. So what do you think about Brees Hall, Josh, do you think that he is destined to be really great? Or do you think maybe there's another teammate of his that you think could also be even greater in their respective position? We'll, we'll get to his, a teammate of his in a little bit, but I, I'm with you on Brees Hall. I think ultimately Aaron Jones has been one of the best fantasy running backs. 
Brees Hall has the frame to handle significantly more work. He's better than Aaron Jones in any way. So I, I have become increasingly bullish on Bruce Hall as the injury news is trending up and up. I completely agree with him. And I think that, again, like you said, the news is only going to be trending up. And I think that he gets healthier. What you really want is players that are going to be ready and fully healthy coming into the fantasy playoffs. And I think that Brees Hall checks this boxes. But speaking of checking boxes, this podcast is going to check a lot of boxes for what you want to listen to. And this podcast is one of many of our other podcasts that are in Apple, Spo- Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And you can find it by looking up the 33rd Team Podcast Network. I'll also mention that you want win-loss predictions? We have them. It's a popular time of year. The schedule came out. Go to the 33rdteam.com. Not only will you see our win-loss predictions for all 32 teams, you can see the full standings predictions based off of that. I also transparently released exactly how I'm evaluating all 272 games. When you check out our win totals article, you'll see a link to the process. Click on that. You'll see win probabilities for every team for every single game. And I outline exactly how I created these win totals. That way, if you think you know better and you want to take my system and revise it, you have the power to do that. Again, it's free on the 33rdteam.com. Now let's, 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 let's talk some more jets. Tyler Conklin, the man looks like a Viking. He's got the, the long hair. He's tatted up. He's also really good at football. Tyler Conklin's 174 targets over the past two seasons is ninth most at the tight end position. He's one of only eight tight ends with at least 550 receiving yards in back-to-back seasons. 15% target share each of the past two seasons. Those are higher target shares than anything former Aaron Rodgers tight end Robert Tunyon ever had in Green Bay. On the dot, Conklin had 87 targets in each of his past two seasons. This season, with Aaron Rodgers, with no obvious alpha receiver after Garrett Wilson. I think Conklin does very well, catching 60 passes as usual for 650 yards and eight touchdowns, finishing as a top eight fantasy tight end that you can get in the final round of your fantasy draft. I Let's play the game for a second where Tyler Conklin is this year's late round tight end. Like, if, let's say that he is like the guy that you get in the later rounds. Like, what do you think his ceiling is? Like, beyond a, a predict, like a bold prediction where he finishes top 10, like, what do you think is the absolute best case scenario of where he finishes last year? Because I remember that he was like a top three tight end for like the first few weeks last year. I mean, is that a realistic thing where he slides into the top five if everything happens right for him? I think so. So I'm pulling up Eric Ebron's career, and I think the the perfect ceiling season would be Eric Ebron's 2018, where he had 66 catches, 750 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Okay. I think that is the type of season that is in the range of outcomes for Tyler Conklin, because after Garrett Wilson, what are we looking at? Alan Lazard, not a target earner. Michael Hardman, not a target earner. Corey Davis might not be on this roster come opening day. And then you have the running backs. He already outplayed CJ Uzama last season, despite Uzama having a slightly bigger contract. Tyler Conklin is just a really good football player, a late bloomer, as many of them are at the tight end position. And I want to bet on this offense. And I think a good way to do it is simply taking Conklin in the final round at the lowest scoring fantasy position when he's tied to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think it's time to kick it up a notch in terms of the spice level of some of these takes. And I know that a lot of people are not going to like this whatsoever in fantasy football and people are watching or listening to podcasts. Everyone hates negativity. 
Anytime you don't like a player, you are automatically the biggest clown on the planet for not liking whoever they are. People can get it when there's the hype up, but I think it is time to hype it down on Debo Samuel. I think he's consistently been the most overrated wide receiver in all of fantasy drafts so far. I think the market's gotten a little bit better towards him, but I think that Debo Samuel finishes outside the top 40 wide receivers in fantasy football this year. I think one of the reasons that I hate Debo Samuel is the fact that he has just three finishes in the top 20 wide receivers in his 13 games last year. They have a very uncertain QB situation, whether they're going to end up starting Sam Darnold or Brock Purdy or Trey Lance. We have no idea who the quarterback's going to be. He actually plays a similar role to Christian McCaffrey in terms of guys that can run the ball super efficiently and catch the ball out of the backfield. I think they're a lot more similar Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey than people realize. But beyond that, he still has just one great finish in his career. In his four years, this is just finishes. I know this is not points per game, which is not fair, but just in terms of finish, he's finished wide receiver 32, 92, wide receiver 3, and 40. To me, he just looks like he has one really good outlier season, and I think that people are holding on to that a little bit too much, and especially when you're playing in an offense that has a top three running back, a top three tight end, and two top 20 receivers, arguably in Debo, sorry, in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, there's just too much of a pie to have, especially when they're going to have one of the best defenses in the league. They're not Their offense won't be on the field for a lot of garbage time much this year, and they already have three other super studs week in and week out. I just think the, top, but the pie is going to be way too small for Debo Samuel to get a good finish, and I think that he's going to end up outside the top 40 once again. How do you feel about that, Josh? Do you want to give me some of the hate the viewers are probably going to bring in? No, I'm, I'm not a Debo Samuel guy. He looks like there's a chance he's third on the team in targets behind Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. We don't know the quarterback situation. It's always been a run-heavy offense. Yes, it's going to be high-scoring, but Debo Samuel's style of play often gets him injured. You simply do not want your fantasy receiver taking carries. I mean, we want it for game-to-game fantasy points, but in the long run, there's a reason receivers are more valuable than running backs in Dynasty. There's a reason receivers have a longer career than running backs. You simply don't want them used this way. I think Debo is a redraft fade currently going in round three, and I think he's a perfect dynasty sell do you think that someone like debo samuel like just gets overrated on name value like i know that this was not planned but is there anyone else like you think off the top of your head right now at the wide receiver position or the running back position that you think is getting held on a little bit too much in name value because we've been talking about guys like dalvin cook and joe mixon that you know people are actually underrating them right now in name value but do you think there's anyone else that you think the name value is carrying them too far or too down because of the reputation I had some concerns with Devonte Adams early in the off season and his ADP has actually fallen close to early round two, where I'd now be willing to take him. He was yeah. kind of a mid round one pick early in the off season. I thought he was the perfect name value candidate where I was like, Hey, this guy's playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what? We'll actually talk about Jimmy Garoppolo shortly, but I was like a new quarterback. At least he played in college with Derek Carr. Derek Carr's much better. And yeah. Adams is now 30. So I was like, what are, what are we doing here? This, he was going pretty much next to Jefferson and Chase in drafts, and I was like, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase uh, have the two best starts to a career for a receiver in NFL history, and they're young. What is Devontae Adams doing with those guys when his quarterback situation's much worse and he's so much older? So he was the one that I kept thinking of and kept bringing up, and I feel like his ADP finally corrected. Yeah, and it's, that's the tough thing about fantasy football, and once people see the 3-0 is because I feel like there are two schools of thought there's one school of thought where it's Devontae Adams or it's Cooper Cup. 
and you know they are who they are so why are you going to like fade them you know what i mean you should be riding them until the wheels completely fall off but there's the other school of thought that looks at cooper cup or a Devonte adams and they say okay how many wide receivers historically at over 30 years old continue to keep production not many you know what I mean? That doesn't mean that you should like automatically have to fade them. But like when you're betting against you have a 25 year old superstar, you know, in Jalen Waddle versus a 30 year old wide receiver that's getting a quarterback change and new offense. Like, I think that that is where things can kind of get a little bit dicey. But enough of the negativity. Let's bring things up and let's stick in the same division as Devontae Adams with the Denver Broncos. And I think that Jerry Judy is finally going to see that big breakout we have all been waiting for. I think that he had a way better season last year than people realize. I mean, he finished as the wide receiver 22 despite missing two games, despite Russell Wilson being arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL, according to Fantasy Twitter, despite Daniel Nathaniel Hackett being arguably the worst coach in the NFL. I mean, Jerry Judy, Josh, you talked about this a lot last year, had 11 games with 60-plus percent of the snaps. He had 50-plus receiving yards in 10 of those 11 games. He's heading into his fourth season at just 24 years old. He gets arguably one of the best head coaches in the NFL, and Russell Wilson can't play any worse. I think at this point he can only play better. So when you already finish as a top 24 wide receiver, you have no Nathaniel Hackett. Russell Wilson can only play better. You bring in a coach. You go into the fourth season at 24 years old where you're heading right towards your prime. What is not to love about Jerry Judy? I think this is the year where all the stars align and he finds himself into a back-end wide receiver one role. Do you think that he can he can fit up to that bill as a wide receiver one this year? Or do you think that that might be a little bit too ambitious and maybe the signs last year were pointing that it's just not going to work out for him? I'd say it's a little ambitious, but I, I like him too. I think Jerry Judy looks like he's going to be a high-end wide receiver too. By far the best target-earning profile on that roster. We like Russell Wilson. We like Sean Payton. And if you look at Jerry Judy, like you said, when he's healthy, he's awesome. And he's a young receiver. I don't think there's any reason to believe that he can't have that type of season where he puts it together and stays healthy. So I am also very in on Jerry Judy for 2023. But before we, we move on, we actually each have our spiciest take left, the number one bold prediction for each of us right now. But before we do that, don't forget it's still May. It is still soon after the NFL draft, whether you like it or not. And we have a pretty amazing rookie guide that you can find on the homepage of the 33rdteam.com. It is the most efficient and informative guide on the market. It's a downloadable PDF over 50 prospects covered each with player comps and so much more you do not want to miss out and the biggest thing is it's free all the hundreds of hours we put into this and it is free for you to get in a nice little pdf that you can hold on to forever maybe put it on your mantle who knows but josh we will go back to you for your boldest prediction the maximum ghost pepper spicy level of a take Oh, we so we have, we have to backtrack. Actually, I haven't given number four because you were so excited to hype up Jerry Judy. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> so we're gonna put I'm that so on pause. Sorry. I'm gonna. I'll, it's okay. I'll I'll be a downer <laughs> once again. I feel like Alex is hyping up the players. I am hyping down the players. Let's talk about the Raiders some more. Over the past ten seasons, I looked at every running back season, and Josh Jacobs, with his 393 touches, had the fifth most touches over the past. 10 seasons, 393. And I thought, huh, why don't we look at players who had 350 or more touches at running back and see what they did the year after that's 350 
potential minor car collisions each time they're getting tackled. 17 players. Here were the ones that had good seasons after that major workload. Matt Forte. Although he also had a bad season after another one of those heavy workload seasons. Le'Veon Bell. Derrick Henry. Zeke. Christian McCaffrey. Saquon Barkley. These guys do not sound like Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs was not regarded as one of the NFL's best running backs, nor one of the NFL's best fantasy running backs until his breakout season in year four. Here are the running backs who struggled either to stay healthy or to produce after their big workload. LaShawn McCoy, DeMarco Murray, David Johnson, Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris. I'd say Josh Jacobs sounds a lot more like the group that significantly underperformed and either missed major time due to injury or simply was not putting up fantasy points and was horribly inefficient. Jacobs 393 touches were 87 more than he had in any other season. The offensive line is still bad. Jimmy Garoppolo is a major downgrade at quarterback from Derek Carr. Think about this. Garoppolo, he can't stay healthy, right? That's what everyone says. Okay, so he's in San Francisco. Great offensive line. He can't stay healthy. What do you think is going to happen now that he has a terrible offensive line? Are we really thinking we're getting 17 games of Jimmy Garoppolo? Or do we think he gets injured and you're starting to look at Brian Hoyer? Josh Jacobs does not finish this season as a top 12 running back in total fantasy points, points per game. He is a landmine at the 2-3 turn in fantasy drafts. Wow. That is not going to be fun for some people to hear because there are a lot of people that love Josh Jacobs. They were right about Josh Jacobs. They had him on his team and led him to championships, first places. And how do you not draft a guy like that? But I think like you said is unfortunately or fortunately, when you have that many guys that get in those mini car collisions around the 400 number, it typically does not go well. Does that mean that Josh Jacobs is doomed for the rest of his career? No. But it might not be that his ADP right now, where he's going as a top five running back, is necessarily worth it. So I'm I'm with you. I don't think he finishes outside the top 12. I think it's going to be lower end, closer to 12. But I still am a believer in Josh Jacobs. And another player that I'm a believer on is my final spiciest take of the entire episode. And that is that Joe Mixon is going to be the 2023 version of Josh Jacobs and finish as a top three running back the best finish of his entire career he did finish running back four once but i think he makes the leap into the top three year i mean he's finished as a top 13 running back in every season that he's played more than six games and now samaj p ryan is gone to denver which is nine touches per game and the only running backs behind him are chris evans travion williams who have less than 100 combined career touches they only added chase brown in the fifth round of the draft. And Mixon is actually coming off what you look for for a top three running back in career highs in targets and catches with 75 targets and 60 catches. He's not going to be indicted for the shooting outside his house. And the biggest thing that people are not looking at is the fact that Josh Jacobs, I'm sorry, excuse me, Joe Mixon has just a $2 million dead cap hit next year on a contract that is worth over $10 million. They are going to get rid of him after the last year. And I think similar to what the Raiders were looking at with Josh Jacobs, they are going to run him into the ground on one of the best offenses in the entire NFL. They know this is going to be the last year that they have Joe Mixon, and I think they are going to ride him until the wheels fall off. This is still a guy that when he's healthy, he's an automatic top 12 running back. So he's going to do that anyway. So why don't they ride him into the ground after he's coming off a season with career highs and catches and targets, and now their pass-catching running back is leaving the team, which means even more pass-catching for Joe Mixon on a top-five offense in the NFL. I don't see how Joe Mixon does not end up as a top-five running back this season. 
I can see that. I've been a little bit down on Mixon, and I think you're starting to convince me otherwise. I, I've been into their new rookie, Chase Brown, but he's a fifth-round pick, and we saw what they did with another late-round pick in Chris Evans. Trevion Williams, they they do not play these guys. So uh, I'm, maybe I should come around on Mixon a little bit more. I think I, I might be getting convinced. I think you need to be con- coming around him from a lot more. But again, we'll see what happens. But Josh, what about you? You've been you've been a Debbie Downer a little bit the whole show. You've been ripping a lot of guys to shreds. I'm sure the listeners are not enjoying it. But you have one final spiciest take them all. So are you going to drop one more nuke on someone's fantasy hopes and dreams? Or are you finally going to uplift somebody in the fantasy football world? So I actually have an article coming out later today on the33rdteam.com. It is a hit piece. On one Anthony Richardson. No. I'll give you guys I'll give you guys a little taste. So it, over the past 15 seasons, there have been a lot of rookie quarterbacks. Only four of them averaged more than 18 fantasy points per game as a rookie. Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Justin Herbert, and Robert Griffin the third. Let's talk about why Anthony Richardson does not look like these guys even slightly. So we start with Deshaun Watson, who had the most fantasy points per game in NFL history as a rookie quarterback. He was taken pick 12 in 2017. Similar draft capital to Richardson at pick four. Slam dunk first round pick, not quite a 101 caliber prospect. Deshaun Watson had over 1,200 pass attempts in college. Eight and a half yards per attempt for his career. 90 career passing touchdowns. As a rookie, he had 243 pass yards a game. That's a lot but he had a nine and a half percent pass touchdown rate. That is one of the highest in NFL history. I don't think any of us believe Richardson is going to have a historic pass touchdown performance. And on top of that, Deshaun Watson was simply a better runner than Anthony Richardson. People think Richardson is this great runner. Well, Deshaun Watson's best college season, he had over 200 rush attempts, over 1,100 yards and 12 rushing touchdowns. Now let's talk about Cam Newton. And I know you're waiting for Anthony Richardson. I assure you his numbers are going to be quite low. Cam Newton was the first overall pick in 2011, maybe the best fantasy quarterback prospect of all time. He played in junior college in 2009. Then in 2010, he basically put the team on his back at Auburn and took them to a national title. He averaged over 10 passing yards per attempt that season. As a rookie, over 4,000 passing yards, 253 a game nearly eight yards per attempt. This is not something that's in Richardson's range of outcomes. Oh, and you want to know why Cam Newton was so good as a rookie for fantasy football? He had 14 rushing touchdowns, which is none other than the NFL record for a quarterback. Cam Newton also had 264 carries for 1,473 yards and 20 rushing touchdowns in college. Now, before I move on to Herbert and Griffin, let's talk about Richardson to put these numbers in context. Anthony Richardson, fourth pick in the 2023 NFL draft, 393 college pass attempts. Wow. I mean, that's, that doesn't really sound anything like Watson's 1200, 24 career pass touchdowns. That doesn't sound anything like when Sean Watson had 90 career pass touchdowns in college. My goodness. It's almost like Richardson is not an experienced passer under eight yards per attempt in his college career. Let's talk about his rushing because everyone just assumes Richardson is the best rusher in NFL history because of his athleticism. Well, if that was the case, we probably would have seen it. He only had 103 attempts last season. His only as a starter for 654 rush yards and nine touchdowns. 
Essentially, he was running half as much as Watson, less than half as much as Newton. Now we talk Justin Herbert, the sixth pick in 2020, similar draft capital to Richardson, 1,300 career pass attempts, over eight yards per pass attempt in his career, 95 passing touchdowns, so four times as many as Richardson, and he averaged nearly 300 pass yards per game as a rookie. Justin Herbert, that is simply not the type of fantasy season we can get from Richardson. And then Robert Griffin III, who people might say, oh, like he, he could have that type of rushing season. Well, Griffin was a much better prospect. He won the Heisman. He was taken second overall in the draft. He had 1,200 career pass attempts. Again, three times as many as Richardson. He had nearly 11 yards per attempt as a senior. Richardson's only season as a starter was 7.8, about 35% lower. And 78 career pass touchdowns for Robert Griffin, more than three times as many as Richardson. Robert Griffin also had two seasons with over 170 rush attempts, and he went over 10, he went double digit rushing touchdowns in two of those seasons. Again, Richardson never hit that mark. Essentially, these four players Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Justin Herbert, and Robert Griffin, three of them in Watson, Newton, and Griffin were better runners significantly. And four of them, Watson, Newton, Herbert, and Griffin, were significantly more polished, more experienced passers than Anthony Richardson. Should we like him in Dynasty because of the athleticism, because of the draft capital? Absolutely. Is this someone that's going to be a meaningful fantasy asset in 2023? No, he is not. Anthony Richardson will finish outside the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks in 2023. You were just pouring like gallons of water on the fantasy community's like love and fame for Anthony Richardson. But I think that the the point here that I would, as someone that loves Anthony Richardson like myself, my point to the listeners would just be simply that we we got to do our homework a little bit more. You know what I mean? On the surface, you know, Russian quarterback, he's going to be a rookie, and he checks all the box of what we look for as someone that's going to be a fantasy producer early and often. But it might not happen right away, and he might have a little bit more experience that he has to gain. I don't think that Josh is saying that, no, Anthony Richardson is going to be Trey Lance 2.0, and he's never going to produce it at this mm. point, even though Trey Lance is only two years in. But I think it's just saying that, okay, maybe let's let's put the brakes a little bit on what our expectations are for this year. Does that mean that he's, he, can't, he, can, he can't finish top 12? Of course not. But maybe we should be pumping the brakes just a little bit. Some clearly some homework that I have to do because I am excited about Richardson himself. But that is it for the show today. I am Alex Caruso. He is the man, the myth, the Jay Larky tweets on Twitter. You can follow him at Josh Larky. But don't forget to tune into our regularly scheduled Fifth Down Fantasy podcast every Tuesday at 2 p.m. But until next time, don't forget to keep chasing that upside each and every single week.